And um, we are carrying on our sermon series, Live Generous. This idea that God has been so generous to us. The, the, the Bible, the story of the Bible, it's a story of God's generosity uh, to us. His blessings upon us, culminating in Jesus who died for us. God has been hugely generous to us. And as followers of Jesus, as children of God, as part of his family, with God's breath within us, with his DNA flowing through our bloodstream, we are called to live a life of generosity too. Last week we looked at talents. This week we are looking at, now is this going to work? It isn't, Sue. So if you could... uh, it, was, it, we, it hasn't been used for uh, 18 months, so it was a, a bit of a long shot. Um, but we're going to be looking at your time. How can you be generous with your time? We are facing a pandemic, but this isn't COVID. There's been a pandemic that's been around for a while, and it's a pandemic of loneliness. A pandemic of loneliness. So much so that in 2018, I think it was, the government appointed a loneliness minister. Her name is, I love this name, Baroness Barron. Baroness Barron is the loneliness minister. And at the time, Theresa May uh, said this, loneliness is a reality for too many people in our society today. It can affect anyone of any age and backgrounds. Across our communities, there are people who could go for days, weeks, or even a month without seeing a friend or family member. And I think even if you are seeing people all the time, maybe through work or activities you're doing, there can still be a real sense of loneliness. Because loneliness is caused not necessarily by the absence of people, but by the absence of deep relationship. Lack of human contact, lack of friendship, lack of warmth, lack of interaction. And you could argue, well, social media makes up for that. Well, social media doesn't. In fact, I think social media makes it even worse. Because it's like you're pushing your face up against the window of someone else's life and looking at what they're doing and unable to do anything about it. Just seeing the highlights from their life, all the good stuff, it makes you feel even worse. We are facing a pandemic of loneliness. And I think even for myself and my family, there's a danger where we haven't got those depths of friendships that maybe we would want to have, we'd love to to have. And even when we try and start friendship with people, maybe families at school, on the school gate that we meet, we might even go around for a meal, they might come around for a meal to ours, and it just seems to peter out. It never seems to get beyond the superficial. We never seem to make those deep friendships that I think we all long to have. And I was thinking, you know, I was chatting to Jen, you know, why is it, why do we, are we struggling to do this? You know, are we that horrible? Are we just that unlovable? I think, I, well, I don't think it's that, well, at least not for me anyway. Um, <laughs> so what is it? What is it that's causing this problem? What is it that's causing this shallowness in life? And what we came, the conclusion we came to is actually it's time it's time. You try and book a date with, to be up with someone, and well, well I've, I've got a day free in two months' time, and then we look at our diary, well, we haven't, can't make it in those two months, it's going to have to be three months. Or we're too busy to have conversations pe- with people on the, on the street, just 
I'm walking by, hi, great to see you, goodbye, you all right? We have that thing, we say, you all right? We don't want an answer, do we? I hear it confuses Americans considerably, because if you ask, are you all right? That's a, like, a proper deep question. And we're like, you all right? And we never go any further than that, because I haven't got the time. Put your hand up if you're a busy person. Yeah. I'm a busy person. Now, it might just be the time of my life at the moment, you know, with kids and stuff. They say that's busier than most other times, but most of us are busy. I did some research. Do you want to put this up? You've pushed a button. That was it's a wrong Right. Oh, so that's how many hours we have per week. Okay, 168 hours. I'm just going to break down, but look at it. I looked on, did some research on the websites to see how much average. On average, how much time we spend doing different things. So, on average, the average working week for people is going to be 37 and a half hours a week. Dan's looking at that going, don't work anywhere near that. And you have two and a half, he's a teacher, two and a half months off a, day, a year as well. Um, no, you work, teachers work incredibly hard before I get my wrist slapped. Um, so, working 37 and a half hours a week, average. Eating, including preparation time, depending on whether you're a microwave person or a uh, recipe book person, it's going to vary, but about 14 hours a week. Spending time with flower, uh, flowers, spending time with family. Some of you might spend time with flowers if you're gardening. Spending time with family, they recommend uh, an hour, 150 minutes per day. So that's 17 and a half hours a week. Um, keeping fit, they say you should do at least half an hour of exercise a day. So that adds up to three and a half hours a week. Hobbies. Now, I've been so two, and a half, two hours, 20 minutes, I just estimated. If you're learning a musical instrument, they recommend one and a half to two hours of practice per day. Phil's not here. I'd have to ask Phil. He's, a, he's really into his cello, how much he practices. And they reckon if you, if you want to be a true expert at something, you need to have spent at least 10,000 hours practicing something before you are counted as a true expert. It's a 10,000 hour rule. But we'll say two hours, 20 minutes. Um, commuting, average commute time, six and a half hours. That may be less for some of you since COVID. Screen time, TV, computer, phone, 45 hours. That's 40% of your waking time is on average is spent in front of a screen. And that's not all work. And then sleep, if you go for, they recommend between seven and nine hours, I'm going for nine hours, that's 63 hours. So if you add all those up, I'm going to see. Yeah. And it, that comes to 189.3 hours a week. And that's not including meeting up with friends, that's not including picking the kids up from school, it's not including going shopping for your food. That's 189.3 hours. That's 21.3 hours over the number of hours you actually do have in the week. You are basically, on average, living an eight-day week, and it's not possible. So no wonder we are so busy. So what is the solution? What is the answer to this? Well, I have this quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger. It says, I've always figured out that there are 24 hours a day. You sleep six hours and have 18 hours left. Now, I know there are some of you out there that say, well, wait a minute. I sleep eight or nine hours. Well, then just sleep faster, I would recommend. There you go. Problem solved. Sleep faster. I have to be, that is tempting. How many of you have thought, Maybe if I got up a little bit earlier, I could spend some more time with God or I could 
go out for a run. Anyone thought that? Yeah, I have. And it, keep your hand up if you've actually done it. <laughs> I have never managed to get up early to do a run. I reckon, I reckon you two are probably morning. Are you, do you get up early for a run? So, yeah, I have never managed to get up and do uh, a run early in the morning. I've, ne I've never managed to get up at six o'clock to fit in an extra hour of Bible and prayer time. I just haven't managed it. I'm too tired, basically. It's tempting, but actually it's not particularly healthy. We can't all be Margaret Thatcher who seemed to live on four hours of sleep a, 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 a night and ran the country. I think we probably all know what the solution is to this particular problem. Because you look at some people and you think, how do they manage to do so much in their life? Because there is no secret group of people that have more time allotted to them than you. Everyone has 24 hours a day, 168 hours per week. There is no one in existence that is getting more time than you. And yet you can look at people and go, how do they manage to fit so much in? And really, it all comes down to priorities. It's all down to priorities. What are those priorities in life? What are the most important things to you? What are the things that you give the most time to? So the other week, most of you know, I ran the um, uh, Rygate 10K. Okay, And I had a few issues with my... Um, my exercise plan. I had a couple of injuries that set me back. And also, I was just too busy. I'd struggled to fit the runs in. But as I got nearer to the date, suddenly I managed to find the time to go for a run because I did not want to get to the race day and not be able to complete the race. So it became a priority for me. And because of that, things had to drop back and become less of a priority. The important things in life are the ones that we prioritize the most. Gandhi said this, actions express priorities. Actions express priorities. And what that basically means is you may say that your family, for example, is your number one priority. But if you are spending all your time doing work, then your actions are expressing a different priority in your life. That family may be the most important thing to you, but actually in reality what your actions are showing is that work is more important. See, you need to intentionally choose your priorities, what you put as number one. Because if you don't intentionally choose your priorities, they will be chosen for you. Either by a demanding boss or a deadline. Well, for me, it's Sunday mornings. Knowing that I've got to be, stand up here and share something makes these, th these sermons a priority in my life. Otherwise, I'd never get time to do them. Things get pushed to one side if time is not pushing me to sort it out. It's not rocket science. We know this is the truth. We know that we need to sort out our priorities. Make the most important thing the most important thing. And if you don't choose your priorities... Something else, some other situation, some other person will choose those priorities for you. Now, if you're, a follower, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not a Christian, maybe you just come along to, you know, out of interest and just see what it's all about, you could kind of end there. That's your job. Go away, list on a piece of paper the most important things in your life and see if your actions actually reflect 
that. But if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, things are not quite that simple because there are some demands being put upon you as a follower of Jesus. Now, we're not going to look at any particular uh, verse, you know, chunk of Scripture. We're going to be looking at a few different verses and move around. But hopefully on the screen you will see from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. And these are words of Jesus on something he called the Sermon of the Mount, where he talks about what it looks like to be part of what he calls God's kingdom, or the kingdom of heaven, as it's called uh, as well. And it's this idea that if God is having rule in your life, and your, and your family, and your context around you, these are the priorities, these are the things that you're going to be focusing on. And he talks about a whole range of things, about marriage, and um, how you treat people, uh, and about time and all sorts. And he says this, this is what you are called to do as a follower of Jesus Christ, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, all these other things in life, all these other things that are vying for your attention, all these other things that are trying to fill your week, they will be given to you as well. Put God's kingdom number one and everything else will fall into place. That is what you're being called to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. But what does that actually mean? And what does that actually look like? So I did a bit of research. Again, looks on the website. You know, what does that look like? How should we tithe our time as a Christian? And this is what was suggested uh, on that website. You should spend six hours in Christian meetings, Seven hours reading and studying scripture, and seven hours praying to and worshipping the Lord. Can I just have a show of hands, everyone that does that really well? We've actually got one in the back, that's great. I'm the church minister and I can't even manage that. Six hours of meetings, well that's all the fun sucked out of my life, isn't it? Seven hours reading and studying scripture, wow that's amazing. Seven hours praying to and worshipping God, that's actually an hour a day, which, but that's still a lot. Two hours if you had the worship on as well. Is that what being a follower of Jesus Christ, a citizen of God's kingdom, is, it, is that what it means? That you have to try and sort out your diary to shoehorn in Christian meetings, reading and studying scripture, praying to and worshipping the Lord? Is it about religiously doing churchy things? So there was a group at the time of Jesus, a group of guys who were amazingly religious. They were amazingly disciplined and structured, and they did everything they possibly could to fit all of this stuff, all this reading scripture and, and living a life as a follower of God into their life. And they were called the Pharisees. And they had a good reputation in some respects. They were seen as incredibly holy and godly people. But Jesus saw an issue and a problem there. And I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 11 and verse 42. Did I put that on there? Good, because I haven't got a Bible up here, I've just realized. This is what he says to them. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So he's saying, you know, it's great that you are so meticulous. You know, you tithe not only your money, but you go right down to even the little details of how much mint you have in your garden. 
that's great. Don't give that up. I can commend you for that. But I wish you could practice that and also not neglect justice and the love of God. Because they came so legalistic that anyone that couldn't meet their high standards, they rejected and they pushed to one side. It became about following rules and not about people. Jesus' ministry, on the other hand, was all about people. At the beginning of Luke's Gospel, he says, you know, I'm here to proclaim freedom. I'm here for justice. I'm here for love. Ultimately, we know that Jesus is here for us so that we might find freedom, not just when we die, but in the here and now. It's all about people, love, justice, freedom, acceptance, joy. People were looking at Jesus and going, you are just having far too much fun to be a religious leader. Why on earth are you going eating and cavorting with sinners? Why are you going to their parties? Jesus went to parties. I'm not sure we could, we could fit those in. I can't fit those in. I'm going to have to try and shoehorn all those reading and bits and pieces and church meetings. Jesus exhibited a life of joy and acceptance. So much peep soda. John the Baptist, who was heralding the coming of the new Messiah of Jesus, sent his disciples to Jesus saying, are you really the one we are waiting for? Because you don't look like it. You're having far too much fun. You're far too loving, far too accepting. Maybe you should be more like the Pharisees. See, when Jesus was asked, what is the most important rule? Is it tithing your mint? Is it making sure that you've done your set number of Bible study for the week? Jesus says, no. Look, the most important thing, if you had to sum up all the rules, all the commandments in the entire Bible, firstly, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom, not this kingdom, not United Kingdom, God's kingdom. It's to love God and love your neighbor. And that brings us full circle to the beginning where we said we have a pandemic of loneliness. And that is not going to be solved by a loneliness minister. Although it helps. Do you know how it can be solved? By us intentionally being generous with our time to others. To serve others. To make time for others. To go beyond the superficial. To go for those deep relationships. To show love and acceptance. To be joyful. Because who wants to be friends with someone who's not very fun and joyful and boring? Those are the sort of people you avoid, isn't it? And unfortunately, is a stereotypical image in our society today of a Christian, someone who's joyful, loving, and accepting. 
to be perfectly honest, that is not how most people think about us. So we've got a bit of work to do, haven't we? We can combat the issue of loneliness by loving people into the kingdom of God. We're going to.